Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. evening. Second Timothy chapter number two, starting with verse number 11. The Bible states these words were still in our uh, impromptu series that came about. This was going to be all one lesson. Here is number four. All right. We're ending it today. All right. Uh, this is our faithful saying series as I'm calling it. The Bible says in verse 11, it is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Faithful saints this morning, part number four. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Amen for this lesson. Lord, I come to you this morning. God, we need your anointing, God, upon our minds, your anointing, God, upon our hearts. I pray, O oh Lord, open our minds, open our understanding, God, to your word today. Lord, as we conclude this, I pray, Jesus, drive something deep within our spirits, God, deep within our souls. Help somebody today, God, in our walk, and our relationship with God. Lord, encourage, strengthen. Lord, I pray, Jesus, by your holy word, you're able, Lord Jesus, to help us, Lord, this morning, God, as we in return thank and praise your holy name, God, for Lord Jesus, seeing fit, God, to take time to speak to us through your word in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen church say amen amen, amen. shake a hand with someone beside you around you if it's been a while since you see have seen them tell them how good it is to see them in the house of the Lord this morning hallelujah faithful saints if I may just for the the sake of just a little bit of review we'll hit uh, the other four and go over them and you should be getting to know them uh, somewhat these faithful Sayings are nothing more but trustworthy, steadfast, sure, resolute, all the different adjectives that you can throw into that doctrines. The first one that we came about uh, in the beginning of this study was that basically Jesus came to save sinners. And we understand that it was a worthy acceptation for all of us because we are indeed and have been sinners. Number two was that preaching produces working Disciples, that if you want disciples that will engage in the work of the Lord and give themselves two good works, a good catalyst for that is preaching the word and teaching the word of God. That produces working disciples. Number three was a good work follows a God-given desire. A good work follows a God-given desire. And in that, we looked how some of the things that the Lord blessed us with, talents and abilities, he did so uh, for the purpose of us using those in the kingdom of God. Number four was disciplines position us for destiny. That was last week. We uh, understood through analogy purposes of last week that bodily exercise, uh, it, it profiteth little, but we were to rather exercise ourselves unto godliness. And in the end, that gives us a promise not only in this life, but in the life to come. And so as we approach the last this evening, or this morning, rather the last of these five faithful sayings, it appears that this last saying could possibly really be a subset of sayings. Because as you read 
the verses 11 through 13, there seems to be uh, more than just one phrase that is contained in those verses. So it's almost as the last saying is really a group of sayings. And it appears that there could be something though said overall concerning these sayings within this subset. Uh, any one of them, any one of these different sayings in the last saying, you understand what I'm saying here, in this group, could stand alone as a, as a doctrine. But together they do relay a, a concept as well. Each one of these sayings within this last group have to do with our relationship with Him. Our relationship with God. Furthermore, you'll note this morning that they are conditional statements about our relationship with Him. If you'll note the words, it says, if we be dead with Him. If we suffer and it's implied with Him. If we deny Him. And if we believe not again implied Him. And so this morning, I, I convey to this audience this morning as we go through this that the fifth doctrine or the fifth saying that encompasses all these conditional statements in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verses 11 through 13, is this. To be identified with Him is to be identified by Him. To be identified with Him is to be identified by Him. And so we understand that there is a very, very strong chord here that's being struck between us and Him. And I cannot read the first phrase of this group, for if we be dead with him without recalling the determination of a woman by the name of Ruth in Scripture to her mother-in-law, Naomi, that whenever she had forged a marriage uh, with her son, that there was a relationship then that came about between her and her son and her and her mother-in-law now, Naomi. And it's between these two individuals that Ruth resolved. She had a determination to hold fast and maintain that relationship that she had forged with her mother-in-law. And among one of the pledges and things, words of dedication, if you will, that she gave to her mother-in-law whenever her mother-in-law was going to go back home from Moab to Bethlehem, Judea, whenever she was going back there, one of the pledges to her mother-in-law, she said, Ruth said, he, she said, Mama and all, if I could say it like that, uh, Naomi, where thou diest, she says, I will die, and there will I be buried. Amen. For Ruth, her final pledge of following her mother-in-law, Naomi, was going to be all the way to death. And Ruth was speaking of a natural death. Mom and law, I'll follow you all the way to death, even the grave if possible. She was basically telling her, there's nothing that's going to separate me and you. There's nothing that's going to drive a wedge in this mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship except death, naturally. Yet conversely, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament Scripture speaks and says that our dying, not a natural death now, but a crucifying of the flesh, our natural death. Uh, not that, but a crucifying of the flesh, a spiritual death. Uh, whenever we die with Christ, whenever we die with Jesus, that that does not separate us, amen, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. When we die with Him spiritually. But quite on the contrary, 
it provides for us and allows us and privileges us with still yet living with him. For if we are dead with him, we will live with him. In another one of the, uh, the epistles this morning, the Apostle Paul, he calls our minds to reason about our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus Christ. And he poses the question, it's a famous question in Romans 8. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Amen. Someone say amen. amen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And so we give opinions sometimes, and I have heard them, and against popular opinion, and even sometimes excuse about what is the separating agent between somebody and God? What separates them from God? In reality, as the question is posed, the separating agent is not a what, it's a who. Amen. He didn't say what shall separate us. I know sometimes we misquote that. And we say, well, what shall separate It's not a what, it's a who. Who shall separate us from the love of God? And with that in mind, I think about James as he's penning his book. And he cautions us that mankind, humanity has a propensity, he has a proclivity, whatever you want to call it, a tendency of being drawn away by his own lust and his own desires and being enticed. So once again, James is even telling us that the problem isn't so much a what as it is a who. And there are lusts, there are desires, but they belong and they are possessed by a person. Amen. They belong and possessed by a person. The, the what's are cultivated by a who. Somebody understand what I'm saying today. Yeah, I might be enticed and drawn away uh, because of my desires and because of my wants and because of my lust. And I, I could somewhat pawn off on that lust or that desire. That's what separated me from God. But that desire belonged to Paul McGee. Uh, that lust belonged to so-and-so. So the real separating agent in the relationship isn't a what. It is a who. But a way to safeguard all of that is to keep on being dead with the Lord and dying out and crucifying, crucify the lust, crucify the desires, amen, and all those other things and let our desires be fixed upon him and when we die with him, we will live with him. Again, the apostle, he, he's, not, he's not referring to a natural, literal death here. He's talking about a dying of our fleshly natures. The dying that he spoke of where he said he died daily. He's talking about a crucifying, a dying of our fleshly natures. He's referencing a death, a burial, if you will. And particularly, he even tells us what that burial or even that death is all about in Scripture. It's a baptism into death. The Bible says in Romans 6, and verse number four, it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also, everybody say, we also, we also should walk in newness of life. He's restating in so many words, if we are dead with him, then we will live with him. If we are dead by burial of baptism into his death, 
will live in the newness of the life of his resurrection. He says in verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Amen. So if I'll be identified with his death, amen, I can be identified by his life. Amen. And verse 7 says, for he that, everybody say, dead men are free from sin. Uh-huh. Dead men are free from sin. A dead person doesn't have any feelings. A dead person doesn't have a choice. A dead person will remain in the state of deadness regardless what's taking place around them. A dead person doesn't have any desires. A dead person doesn't have any lusts. And so if we are dead with him, we can live with him. And the what doesn't even have to come into the formula. Because I don't have a choice. I died with him. I don't care what are the allurements around me. I'm a dead person. Somebody hear me today? I'm a dead person. I'm dead with him. That's the reason why the apostle said, every day I'm dying. Because every day there's going to be new allurements. Every day there's going to be new desires. But i got to be a dead man today just as much as I was a dead man tomorrow. Once I make the choice to die with him, I don't have to make another choice. Once I make a choice to die with him, I don't have to worry about my surroundings. Once I make a choice, I will live with Christ. And so to be identified with him will be to be identified by him. So we initialize our relationship with him in this, this death, this dying, this, this baptism, and it seems then as though it guarantees or secures our relationship with him in our life. Now, historically, it was important where people buried their dead. And I'm not looking for a shovel. I'm looking for something just to dab my face. It was important where people buried their dead because... Commonly, and it's not real much different from today, but commonly where the burial was to be done, and a lot of times it was done in their native land. That happens today, whatever city or town they were from. But commonly, wherever the burial was done, if it was in their native land, consideration was going to have to be given concerning the burial because wherever they buried it, that's where it was going to stay. You had to take thought about where you're going to lay it down because that's where it's going to stay down. Because wherever you buried the person, that would be where they would stay. <laughs> so we got to take consideration what we're buried with. Uh-huh. Because what we're buried with in the life of the spiritual, that's where we need to stay. And so I'm buried with him. The Bible says in Romans 6 and verse 3, the question was posed, Know ye not that so many of us as were Baptized and look what we're baptized into. Baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. 
And so the question itself reveals something to you and I, that when we are baptized into Christ, or might I just further elaborate on that, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. So here again, thank the Lord. Take care where you're buried because that's where you're baptized into Christ. And if you're baptized into Christ or buried into Christ, then hopefully that'll keep you in Christ. Amen? In Christ. Now, when we go back to the Old Testament, we consider this idea of burials. There was a cave known as the Cave of Machpelah. You may have read of it, heard it preached about, uh, scholars talked about gets a lot of attention, the, the cave of Machpelah, because according to the scriptures, this cave was the burial pra- place for many uh, of the patriarchs, matriarchs of Old Testament scripture. Among some of those who were entombed in the cave of Machpelah, this burial ground, uh, was Sarah. She was the first. Abraham bought the cave of Machpelah in order to bury uh, his, his, his wife Sarah there. Abraham was buried there. Isaac was buried there. Rebekah was buried there. Jacob was buried there. Leah, not Rachel, Leah was buried there. All of these are buried in the cave of Machpelah. And in Genesis 23, Abraham uh, desired a burial place for his wife Sarah because she had passed away. And in the narrative of the scripture, he's asking some people of this land if, if he could have a burial place among them. He particularly asked a man by the name of Ephron if he could purchase the cave of Machpelah. And the Bible particularly notes in Genesis 23 and verse 9, the cave of Machpelah, which is in the end of his field. So we have a field, and at the end of the field is a cave. It's the cave of Machpelah, and it is the cave that Abraham is desiring to bury his dear wife in. Now Ephron, hearing this, This was land that was in the land of Canaan. This is the only uh, possession of Canaan that Abraham ever had. It was the one that he bought. Amen. Which was a burial ground. And so it's there and Ephron saying, I tell you what, Abraham, I know this this is a horrid thing because you've lost your wife, so on and so forth. And he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. He, He starts to give Abraham more than what Abraham is bargaining for. Abraham says, I want the cave of Machpelah. Ephron says, I'll tell you what, Abraham, I'll give you the cave of Machpelah and the field along with the cave. And so Abraham thought over this for a moment, and he thought, man, this this is just unreal. But, you know, at this time, his main concern is somewhere to bury his dead. His main concern is to have the cave of Machpelah so he could bury his dead. And so he asked Ephron, he says, well, you know, like we would, how much would this set us back, you know? How much would the the cave and the field cost? How much would this cost me? And so he told him how much it would cost, and they agreed on the amount, and Abraham purchased then, he purchased both the cave of Machpelah and the field. And in Genesis 23 and verse 27, the Bible states these words, and the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field, the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in all the borders round about, were made sure. So Abraham, in his desire to bury his wife and wanting a cave of Machpelah to bury her in, he not only, listen to me, he not only gets a place to bury his wife and just gets that cave, but he also gets the field 
that the, 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 the cave is in the field there. He gets the field as well. And the Bible's speaking about all the trees that are in the field, all the trees that are along the border of the field around about. Amen. Now, Abraham's goal wasn't the field. Abraham's goal was the cave. The cave for burial was his concern. Yet, in this deal that he struck with Ephron, he got the cave and he got the field as well. Everybody says, all right. But a field is defined by the Hebrew dictionaries as a place yielding plants and trees. It is described as cultivated ground. It says that the entirety of one's cultivated or pastured land is called his field. If I made the field is a place of cultivated living things. Someone say amen. Trees were in the field. Plants were in the field. Vegetation for pasture was in the field. And when Abraham purchased the burial place, he also in that purchased a living space. Someone walking with me. You, 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 you all right this morning. Someone eat their Wheaties, all right. You all right today. He, he bought a burial place, but he also got a living space. And so each time that someone was taking the carcass, whether it be of Rebecca or Jacob or Leah, and they were taking that body each time they walked through that field of green pastures with the living and lively trees that are on the border of its perimeter, going to bury their dead in the cave of Machpelah that's at the end of the field, they were reminded that there's life also. Someone just track here with me a little bit this morning. Because Machpelah in itself, the meaning of Machpelah in Hebrew means double. It wasn't just the word that was used for the cave. You read in Scripture, the field is also called the field of Machpelah. Machpelah, does, it described the cave. It also described the field. And Machpelah, if you will, in essence, was the cave and the field together. Whenever you reference Machpelah, it just wasn't referencing a cave and it wasn't just referencing a field. It was referencing the cave and the field together. Yet Machpelah was where the dead were buried, but it was also where life was being regenerated in the field. What I'm saying this morning is this, that being born again and experiencing the new birth or getting saved just does not describe your baptism or your being dead with him. It also describes you receiving the Holy Ghost, that newness of life of living with him. Your new birth experience is the Old Testament Machpelah. You get both a cave and a field. You get a place where you die, but you get a place where something can live. It is double. Amen. That's the reason why, and I've been excited about this all weekend, so just bear with me and just look at me while I get excited, all right? Because in Isaiah chapter number 40 and verse number 2, Isaiah prophesied these words. He said, Speak ye comfortably unto Jerusalem and cry unto her that her welfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins now here's the thing folks in the old times whenever you had a debt that you could not pay 
That debt and all the allegations against you were written on a piece of paper and put on the city gates for all who pass through the city gates to know your indebtedness. And it was an embarrassment to whoever had the debt. But sometimes there would be a kinsman redeemer come along that would pay for the debt like Boaz did, amen, for Ruth, satisfying, amen, whatever needed to be satisfied concerning the creditors. But whenever that would happen, whenever the debt would get paid, whether it be by the person who owed the debt or by a kinsman redeemer, what they would do would take that sheet of paper that had all of the writings of the indebtedness that they could not pay and the Bible, and we read in the history that they would fold it together and that word that they used to fold together meant they would double. And they would take that thing folded together and put it back on the city gate wall. And now where your indebtedness once had been had been an embarrassment to you in your life, people could scrutinize and look at. Now God gave Jerusalem, who had many sins, a lot of faults and failures, he said, I'll give you double I'll give you a double for all your iniquities. What he's doing, he's folding it together. That's MacPillay. MacPillay meant double. You don't only get a burial place, but you got a place where life can be generated. That's our new birth experience. God has given us double. That if we are dead with him, we shall live with him. It's our MacPillay. It's our cave and our field. It's where we bury something, but it's where something lives as well. Someone say amen. amen. Mac and the word double in Isaiah both come from the exact same Old Testament Hebrew root, which means to fold together. They both come from the exact same word, that folding together. Jerusalem, your iniquities are going to be pardoned because you received double at the Lord's hand for all your sins. You, you received your Mac You got a place to bury your dead? but you got a place to live. He says, mm-hmm. you got your barrel place and your living space all here in the same spot. we got our double, our Mac Pillay. If we die with him, we'll live with him. Someone say, that's double. That's Mac Pillay. The verse says in verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. And if we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, we could open up the floor for suffering. We'd hear the stories. Because all of humanity suffers. There's not nobody, child of God or not child of God, you suffer in some way. It's partly what makes us human. It's part of the fabric of humanity. The ability to suffer and all times suffering. But the suffering the Apostle Paul was speaking about is not just a normal suffering of humanity that grants us to reign with him or Jesus Christ. It's a suffering that is referred to as suffering with Christ or suffering for Christ because we have died and are now with him. I don't know about you, but there is a certain element of suffering with dying many times. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, For by one spirit are we all baptized, that's death, into one body. By one spirit we all are baptized into one body. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. And so 
by our dying with him, we live with him, and part of that dying, and his dying in particular, was suffering. Before he gave up his life, because they didn't take it, but before he gave up his life and died, he suffered. And it isn't easy letting go of fleshly things in our lives. We may suffer through some of those moments until it is accomplished. But the body that we are baptized into is the body of Christ. He is the head of that body, Scripture says. And due to this responsibility, due to this relationship, there is a sharing. Being a part of his body, him being the head of that body. Due to that relationship, there is a sharing of suffering, but not without the promise of somewhere reigning with him. I think before John chapter 19 and verse number 5, and I, I believe perhaps before I may have mentioned this, I'm not real sure, but it bears repeating. The Apostle Paul spoke of uh, saying something a second time, and so we do that around here sometimes third and fourths, but uh, and it bears repeating in John 19 and verse number 5. The Bible says, Then came Jesus forth uh, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. And so here's Jesus. He's wearing a crown. He's wearing a purple robe, which denotes royalty and kingship as one who would reign. But his crown, mind you, was a crown that was made of thorns. And so within Jesus Christ, there's this interesting mingling, if you will, of suffering and reigning wrapped up here in one person. It's in Jesus Christ we have the careful blend of a, a suffering servant but a reigning king. And to be with him, one should expect to be identified by him. And so we're going to have a similar blending, if you will, of suffering. But it's not going to be without the reigning. See, it's difficult because sometimes we don't see, we see just glimpses of that reigning in this life. Uh, much of that is shadowed. Much of that is obscure. All we see is the suffering. But if there is a crown of thorns upon your head, rest assured there's a throne to reign on shortly thereafter. Amen? Amen. Christ even spoke to us on that wise. There, there's that interconnection between us and Christ. Those who are dead with him, those who live with him, those who suffer with him, amen, our relationship has all been shaped by that. There's a very tight connection. I was telling this to uh, Bishop, I think it was last week or the week before there, such a very tight connection between Christ and his church. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He was all points tempted like as we are. What are you telling me? Whatever he, he suffered through and whatever I'm suffering through are some of the things that he has suffered through. So I'm not entering into a different suffering than he, he, he didn't go through. He spoke to the disciples. He said, a servant is no greater than his Lord. If they persecuted, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Amen. Why? Because... Those are the disciples that's with Jesus. You're identified with me. Amen. And so suffering just happens as a, as a common experience. So we have this connection. We're a part of this body. We're baptized into this same body. Is anybody a part of the body of Christ today? 
And there was a little girl and said, and the question was asked, are you, or an elderly person actually said, are you not afraid you will slip through God's fingers? That old elderly believer said, how can I? She says, I'm one of his fingers. With him, with him, relationship. It's not going to happen. Uh, again, in the book that I've just read here recently, Jesus, the pastor, I believe this is tremendous. The interconnection between us and God, us, the church, and God. The suffering, yes. The, the dying, yes. But don't forget the living and the reigning. Uh, whenever the Bible speaks in Acts chapter number 9 concerning the conversion of Saul, a man being converted into Paul, uh, whenever he's walking on that Damascus road, amen, there is a time that he is smote down off of his beast and there is a voice from heaven that speaks to him. This voice from heaven, Paul identifies later as Jesus Christ. He said, who art thou, Lord? Jesus said, I, I'm Jesus, all right? And whenever he spoke to that voice, the, 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 the voice from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? You can read then in Acts chapter number 8 where the Bible says Saul was going around persecuting the church. And then whenever the voice from heaven speaks to Saul, it says, why are you persecuting me? Because God is so intricately connected with his church. When you touch his church, you've touched him. If you're identified with him, dead with him, living with him, suffering with him, honey, I'm going to reign with him. I'm intricately connected with the great God of glory that you can't lay a finger on his church without touching him. Amen. So the scripture reassures us later in the book of Revelation many times that we shall reign with him. But all of that is founded on this dying and this living with him. We shall reign with him in the time to come. Those who have had their Macpelay, their double, if you will, experience of dying and living will reign with him. Amen. And maybe to a little bit, this is what partly the Apostle Paul was alluding to when he penned the words in Romans 8.18, and I love this scripture, I've always tucked it. It's, you know, some scriptures just stick in your mind or heart and you just remember them. And it's always been one of those scriptures. And he said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul says, I'm trudging through earth. I've had stripes. Forty save one. I've been in perils of water. Perils of my own countrymen. Uh-huh. He's had some thorn in his flesh that he asked God thrice to be removed and it's still there. Suffering. He says, but in all of this, I'm in prison and I wrote most of these epistles while I've been in prison. Hear me right now. I've been taken advantage of. I know I could write the book on suffering if you would want me to write the book on suffering. He said, but I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. If I could say it like this this morning, our present suffering is just a road to our future glory. Amen. Our present heartaches, our present troubles, our, our present loads are nothing more but constructing a road to our future glory of reigning with him.
And so that's the reason why Paul said, I glory in tribulation. Because every tribulation, every despair, every persecution that I'm going through, it's adding another layer of asphalt to my road that's headed to glory. Somebody hear me today. We can get down and debacled with all of our suffering and be consumed by our suffering. But if you take a pause look and say, hey, this is the building material for the road to glory. This is the building material for the road of reigning with him. And to be identified with him will be to be identified by him. Now, though something happens here in this group, in this subset, there's a shift. There's a shift in the sayings here. So follow, if you will. So if to be identified with him is to be identified by him, then it seems to convey to not be identified with him is to not be identified by him. If you deny him, he will deny you. He spoke in the gospel of Matthew 10, 33, but whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Choosing not to be identified with him in his death, in his living, in his suffering will prevent our relationship with him. No death followed by no burial means no life. No death means no suffering, at least not in the context in which he's speaking at least not with him. And what that does is it steals from us the possibility of reigning with him. See, the secret to all of this is that we go not at it alone. The secret of the fifth saying is that it's a relationship. It's something with him. That every step of the way we are with him. And so verse 13 shares the reality then if you look at verse 13 and I'll read it again it says if we believe not yet and this is awesome yet he abideth faithful he cannot deny himself it says if we believe not if we don't believe let's say in this death in this burial and this resurrection thing we don't believe in that you know what He's still faithful. In other words, our belief does not add or subtract from the certainty that he did die, that he was buried, and that he did resurrect. Our belief does not add or subtract from that very, very founded truth. And what it means is this. You can take the most notable minds, the most reputable people in the world, but if they don't believe, God's still faithful to who he is. Mm Mm-hmm. God is still faithful to who he is. He cannot deny himself because to become less than he is because he's not supported by somebody's belief would be to deny who he is. Mm -hmm. And he's faithful. He's faithful. 
Amen. He's true all by himself. He's consistent in spite of personal belief. Amen. And see, here's the wonder. But if we're buried with him, and we live with him, and we suffer with him, and we reign with him, if his character is one of faithfulness, then you know what we will be? Faithful. And so that's how, whenever the parable is told of that great day, and the doors were shut, and they were crying out, Lord, this, Lord, that, and he had already spoke to those different ones, hey, enter on in thy good and faithful. How could he say that? Because, well, they died with him, they lived with him, they suffered with him, and they was on the road to reigning with him. He says, you, you, <laughs> I, I can't deny you because you've been with me, and I'm faithful. I'm faithful. And so we've been in this together. We're so intricately connected. Whenever somebody talks about you, they're talking about me. And so if they're going to call me faithful, and we're together in this thing, we're intricately connected like we ought to be, then you've got to be faithful. So enter on in, thy good and faithful servant. Why? I'm closing this morning because, again, if we're to be identified with him, we'll be identified by him. If you'll stand with me this morning. So those are faithful sayings, faithful doctrines. Don't come about any other way. It's not like he added a subset of A, B, and C on this dying and living and suffering thing. No. So this is it. This, this is the faithful saying. This is, this is how you get identified with me and identified by me. Amen. We must die to death. If we can just close our eyes in this place this morning. Amen. I'm talking to anybody that may be under the sound of my voice. Amen. That's saying, you know what, uh, Pastor McGee, I would really like that life with the Lord. Well, I'm telling you today that life with the Lord comes about by a death and a burial with him. Just identifying him with him in those things. What's that death? What's that death, Pastor McGee? That death is simply a repentance of sins. That death is simply a repentance of the old way of life and the old ways. That baptism, amen, or that death is the baptism that we spoke of this morning, being baptized with him. Amen. We baptize you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, and we have a promise then. Not only in the scripture that we read, but in other places of the New Testament scripture, we have a promise that if you're buried with him, you can live with him. And I'm not going to tell you, and I don't want to be ever someone that would lie and tell you there's not some suffering along the way because this flesh is going to suffer whenever you start doing things that it doesn't like or start doing things that's totally uh, in opposition to what it would like to do it's not going to like that it's going to suffer and it might cause you to lose some relate other relationships and some other friends and so on and so forth and suppose status if you will in this world but that's okay do not lose sight of the future reign that you have with him don't deny him today don't deny him don't believe him not because there's no promise in that there is no connection there is nothing in that but if you come to know him in the power of his death burial and resurrection amen you'll live with him let let god just perform a macpelay in your life let him give you a cave to bury some things but also a place where some things can live let him give you double let him let him fold that list that is against you that indebtedness let him fold that together today amen as though it was never existed and it's non-existent he's capable of doing it this morning this is a faithful saying if you are dead with him you'll live with him if you'll suffer with him you'll reign with him if you deny him he'll deny you if you believe him not he is faithful and he cannot deny himself these altars are open if anybody would wish to play 
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.